global church, the whole church, we learn from one another. You know, the, the partnership is much deeper than just finance. And as we learn together, as we go forward together, that will bring the whole gospel to the whole world. So that, that is true partnership. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Sydney learn from Christians in Sao Paulo? How can church leaders in Mongolia equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed the mission of God unlocking the Bible's grand narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as global ambassador and ministry director for Langham. On this episode of On Mission, Chris talks with Patrick Fung of Singapore. For almost 20 years, Patrick has served as the general director of OMF International, a missions organization focused on demonstrating and proclaiming the good news to over 100 people groups in East Asia. Patrick has also been heavily involved in the Lausanne movement, previously serving on its board of directors and currently serving as program chair for the upcoming Lausanne Congress in Seoul, South Korea in 2024. In his conversation with Chris, Patrick shares about the legacy of early missionaries to East Asia, the encouraging growth of the church there today, and some captivating insights on how the global church can and should work together in partnership. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to On Mission with me, Chris Wright. And welcome again if you're one of our regular listeners to this podcast, or if this is your first time, well, a very special welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Today we are in Singapore, which is that tiny little island nation tucked in there between Malaysia to the north and Indonesia to the south, and yet such an important little island nation with the economic powerhouse there in that region, and of course a gateway in so many ways into Southeast and East Asia. And my guest today, uh, who is there in Singapore, is Dr. Patrick Fung. So, welcome to you, Patrick. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's uh, really good to be with you. Indeed. Now, uh, Patrick is a, a medical doctor, uh, from originally from Hong Kong, and with his wife, Jenny, uh, they have served with OMF International as mission partners in Southeast Asia. And we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later as to what OMF International is. In fact, uh, Patrick is now the general director of that organization, He's also uh, on the International Council of Langham Partnership and indeed quite recently became the chair of Langham Foundation in Hong Kong, which is, as I said, his home city. So it's great to have you with us, Patrick, and uh, look forward to, to our conversation. We always begin by asking 
our guests simply to introduce themselves. So, you know, where where you've come from, a little bit of your early story growing up in Hong Kong and then uh, how you've come to be where you are today. Just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, I was uh, uh, in Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong, but currently based in Singapore. Uh, but at the age of uh, 18, I uh, went to Australia, studied medicine, and then went to the UK to do my postgraduate medical training. And then after that, uh, I actually served in Pakistan for a number of years with my wife. My wife uh, is an obstetrician gynecologist. I worked in intensive care. And uh, when I was there in Pakistan, training uh, medical doctors in intensive care and among the Muslim people. Uh, but uh, in the early days, first year in the medical school, I became a Christian. And that completely changed my life uh, in the first year of my medical training. How did it change your life? Tell us about that. Well, I I was invited uh, to join a Bible study uh, group, and I was only 18, first year in medical training. And um, actually, I, I I was very uncooperative, and I um, yeah asked many, many questions. I know that uh, the, study, the study group uh, leader always told me that I always gave him a, a headache. <laughs> and uh, now after 20 years, this same group met again after 20 years. And almost everyone say to me without fail, they say, Patrick, we never believed you could become a Christian. <laughs> but you and did. I told, I told them, I say, because you do not, you did not give me up and God did not. And you were very patient with me. And after nine months of of Bible studies, um, my life was changed. Part of that was that I studied um, uh, the Bible, and uh, I was helped by reading some of the books, the commentaries written by John Stott. And one of those was the commentary on Ephesians, Mm -hmm. God's new society, and the new humanity. And that completely changed my life, the way I look at people, the way I look at the world, the way I look at myself. And after nine months of Bible study, and particularly studying the book of Ephesians, I came before God and realized that I sinned against God. I needed to accept the Lord as he has accepted me and his grace upon me. And John Stott's books really changed my life in my early days uh, when I was 18 and 19. That is amazing. And I think you then had the opportunity to meet John Stott, didn't you? Yes. I mean, interestingly, uh, I, I was in, I was affected by John Stott so much so that, I, I mean, as medical students, we did not have uh, long holidays, but every holiday, usually just one week, I would take one or two of John Stott's commentary and would go to the library and would sit down and study one book in the Bible uh, with John Stott's commentary and study that book. And that really was the beginning of my discipline in studying the Word of God and really impacted by John Stott. But the other thing which really helped me uh, was as a one-year-old Christian, I was given the um, Lausanne Covenant, of course, uh, authored by John Stott as well. And uh, again, uh, that understanding of 
the whole church, bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. And John Stott's uh, explanation, what it means by the whole gospel. Again, that really helped me as a very, very young Christian. So the influence of John Stott, both through his exposition of the Word of God uh, and his involvement with Lausanne, have both had a major influence on your life in, in relation to Langham, which is... Significantly. In, in yeah. early days of my Christian life, even, not, not later, but when I was a very, very young Christian, learning to study the Word of God, learning to love the Word of God, uh, learning to obey the Word of God as well, and... Um, I mean, nowadays we talk about the Langham logic. Hmm. The church can only grow by the Word of God, and the Word of God in a church um, can only be heard. Uh, uh, we can learn the Word of God by preaching or teaching the Word of God. That, that's the modern-day term, the Langham logic. In those days, I never knew that, but yeah. I was impacted by, by John Stott's writings. Hmm. So I wonder, whether was it John Stott's writings that also encouraged you to take some theological training on top of your medical training? Because I understand you've done yes, yes, degrees both in Hong Kong and, in, uh, and at Fuller. That's right. I, I, um, perhaps three aspects of training. One is uh, the theological training in Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Graduate School of Theology, and then uh, mission training, uh, in Fuller in the U.S. And then I look at church history as well. I did my PhD in church history in Hong Kong University as well. So the three aspects really, really helped me. My research in church history is Chinese church history or China church history, looking at how uh, the China Inner Mission uh, worked together very closely with the China church and particularly uh, the rise of the indigenous church in China. And that piece of history, I was very interested uh, to find out more. So that was my PhD thesis. Mm. That's amazing. So uh, coming to uh, where we met and also then moving on to uh, OMF, because in fact, you and I, I think, first met in 2005, I think it was, when I I came to Singapore for what we were holding in those days, a Langham Partnership Regional Council or consultation, um, which at that time was convened, I think, by Bishop John Chu, um, and we were there. And I remember meeting you at a, at a meal, one of the evening mm. meals. And at that point, uh, you were on the cusp of becoming the general director for OMF International. Yes. But that makes yes. that makes me realise that we have something else in common, yes. as well as all the journey we've had, which is that both of us have succeeded the same person in our ministries because. Uh, and that is David Harley, David and Rosemary yes. Harley, because oh, he, yes, right. yes, he was the principal of All Nations Christian College, and I took over as principal from David Harley. And mm. then uh, he, after a further journey after his time at All Nations, was the general director for OMF uh, International in Singapore. And then you took over from him, uh, in, I think it was in, in, at the end of 2005. So we've both succeeded, David and Rosemary. And I don't know whether David and Rosemary listen to these podcasts. <laughs> but David and Rosemary, if you are listening, uh, we both give you our love and our greetings uh, for that. So what we need to hear at this point, I think, uh, Patrick, is something about OMF International, because m- many of our listeners possibly may not have heard of that. Can you tell us a little bit about it and you know, the, yeah. its age, how, how it was founded, where it comes yeah. from, where it works, and so on? That's right. Uh, well, OMF, uh, formerly called the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, now called OMF International, 
actually started more than 160 years ago. The former name is the China Inland Mission. Uh, it, it was a very humble beginning. Hudson Taylor was a young man without much resources in 1865 after he prayed at Brighton, Brighton Beach. Uh, he was really um, burdened uh, you know, to see millions of Chinese uh, did not have a chance to hear the gospel. So at Brighton Beach on June 25th, um, 1865, he prayed that God will send the first group of uh, missionaries from the UK, uh, Britain to, to China. And he prayed for 24 willing, skillful workers. The next day, he went to the bank and opened a bank account with 10 pounds only. Uh, and uh, started the China and the mission. It was a very uh, humble beginning. And initially, you know, the people who went were just very, you know, ordinary people, lay people, uh, you know, blacksmith, silversmith, uh, cokes, and, and, you know, and, and he was criticized by a lot of people because they say that, you know, you're sending a bunch of uneducated, unschooled people to be missionaries in China. And um, and besides, I mean, they felt that, you know, he was not very intelligent. Particularly, interestingly, uh, Professor La Tourette uh, made this comment in his book. Uh, professor La Tourette uh, was a professor at Yale University and uh, a professor in Chinese church history and Chinese mission history. And this is what he commented on Hassan Taylor. He said, well, Hassan Taylor was a man very frail often got sick, uh, very unimpressive, not particularly intelligent, he said. He's not particularly intelligent. <laughs> but one thing that made him stand out was his one focus, his life dedicated to the sharing of the gospel in the inlands of China. That made him different, his one life for the Chinese people. Of course, I mean, the famous quote that we often use, and that is, Hassan Tere said, well, yeah, if I have a thousand lives, China would have them all. If I have a thousand pounds, I would give it all to China. But the sentence did not end there. He said, no, no, not China, but Christ. What Christ has done for us, can we do too much for him? So that's his Sort of passion and you know it started with 18 people who first went to china and this boat called lama 1866 and um, it was a very humble beginning but by 1900 there were nearly 1000 cim missionaries serving in the inlands of china from a very small group to 1000 but and the husband that wasn't thinking much about himself or, or wasn't just trying to promote the china and the mission because he believed in the indigenous Chinese church. From the very beginning, he felt that the Chinese church should be led by the Chinese. He used the example of the scaffolding. He said, we are the scaffolding. The China and mission is the scaffolding. When the Chinese church, you know, rises up, the scaffolding can be taken away. We are never the permanent structure. And, um, of course, that dream only came true in 1951 mm. when all the missionaries 
had to leave China. Actually, by statistics, 6,300 missionaries all left China, including nearly 1,000 from the China in the mission, all left China. And the CRM made this statement. They said, we have always been thinking about the indigenous mission or indigenous Chinese church. But God, in a remarkable way, has allowed the atheistic government to complete the task. That was <laughs> interesting. To you, know, task. you said 1951, and yes. whether you believe it or not, I actually... I'm old enough to just remember wow. the, the repercussions of that event when the, all the missionaries were thrown out of China. I would have been four at the time, and I remember the adults, because my, mm. my parents were missionaries, uh, and so our home was very much yeah. interested in world mission. And I remember the adults talking with shock and horror yes. about what, what had happened in China, and God, you know, how can God allow this, and all these missionaries being expelled. Uh, and you know, the, the idea that, well, if, if all the missionaries are gone, what will happen to the church? And, you know, will it be the end of the church and mission in China? And you can almost hear the angels yeah. saying, you know, yeah. you don't know what God has planned. Um, exactly. So, you know, now, as I understand it, there will be more Christians worshipping, really in churches, worshipping God uh, yes. every Sunday in, in mainland China, more than in all of Western Europe put together. Mm. Uh, and so the the end of Western mission in China did not mean the end of the church in China. So mm. tell us that then became uh, the uh, having been thrown out from China, the the mission had to sort of re somewhat reinvent itself, and the the name yes. OMF was born. And yeah. you've grown now to I think um, something like about fourteen hundred mission correct. partners in in fourteen yeah. different countries, and and you are the general director for that. So you yes. have a, a large responsibility for a very large organization. Yeah, the Lord has been teaching us. I mean, when we came out from China, there was a time when people thought, okay, the China Inner Mission has completed the task. There's no more China Inner Mission. We should close shop. Hmm. But then God enlarged our horizon because we were thinking about the Chinese. The first thing is that we came to realize there are plenty of Chinese outside China, not just within China. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing is that... Uh, the need of the gospel is not just for the Chinese. There are many, many different East Asian peoples, all the way from Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, and the Philippines, and then you know the other islands would be Japan, Thailand. And we came to realize that all these people also need the gospel as well. And so as we came up from China, the, the Lord challenged us not to give up, the job is not done yet. And then we slowly began to understand as God continues to work among the East Asia's peoples, we realized that East Asia's peoples are not only in East Asia. So before it was China, and later on it was regional, meaning in East Asia, but now today we are thinking of East Asia's peoples around the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have now worked in uh, Africa, in Kenya, among the Chinese. I mean, we can't believe it. There are nearly two million Chinese working in Africa today from China. And many of them never heard the gospel before. And a big, big need. And uh, we are seeing God um, opening those doors and a wonderful uh, partnership as well with African churches. We are working together with African churches.
and which is also the spirit of the Lausanne, uh, the, 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 the Langham partnership as well, uh, and other organizations but like Lausanne is the partnership with the, the local indigenous churches with Africa churches. It is, it is very much so. And interestingly, in the Langham partnership at the moment, we are thinking, considering, reflecting on what our role is among the yeah. diaspora communities, such as yeah. you just described, the Chinese diaspora yeah. in exactly. all over the world, of course, exactly. all over the world. But there are right. many other diaspora communities um, which we need to be asking, what is God doing through them and what is God calling us to do in, in, in partnership with them? Uh, so, yeah, that's fascinating. Now, you mentioned, you, you named some of the countries of Southeast and East Asia a moment yeah. ago. Uh, it's a region of the world, of course, where there's a huge diversity. There are different religions. You, you have Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, and so on. You've also got massive ethnic diversity. Tell us a bit about the region and, and some of the, uh, you know, what is the state of the Christian church there? And, yeah. and what, are the, what are the challenges that the churches face? Uh, well, th thank you for asking that very, very good question. I, I just came back from Bangkok attending the... Uh, Asia 2022 conference where 600 Asian church and mission leaders attended at the conference. It was really, really encouraging to hear and see what God is doing in different parts of Asia. Just, just to call a few examples, um, one thing is this, that the Asian church is definitely growing and God is doing amazing work. And, and let me give you a, a, a few very specific examples. Uh, for example, Mongolia. 30 years ago, or just a bit more than 30 years ago, uh, we know that there was hardly any Christians, any believers. Today, I just came back from the conference, uh, it's reported that there are more than 60,000 Christians, uh, followers of Christ in Mongolia. That's just amazing in just 30 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at Thailand, and uh, the latest report is this, very, very interesting. Uh, of course, I mean, still less than 1% Christian, but if you count all the churches in Thailand, half or 50% of all the churches in Thailand actually only started in the past 25 years. Only in the past 25 years, half of all the churches. So there is significant growth, church growth, or even growth in the number of Christians. So that's Thailand. And then you can uh, look at Cambodia as well. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the, the Pol Pot regime and uh, in, the, in the 70, 75, you know, Pol Pot was there to, to crush the church and uh, only a small remnant uh, was left. But now today, 250,000 Christians in Cambodia. And of course, I mean, the famous place, South Korea, has sent out more than 30,000 uh, missionaries to different parts of the world. So mm. definitely the church is growing. Yeah. Are there challenges? There, there are many, but I, I can just mention a few. First is actually persecution is very real. Yeah. And uh, it, it's very true indeed, as in the early church. Uh, persecution comes in all forms. Physical imprisonment, restrictions, privileges taken away, intimidations, and uh, one is spreading fake news, you know, to um, go against the Christian faith. And, but many Christians remain steadfast and faithful and the church continues to grow. But one thing has changed, and that is that in some places where persecution is real, many are not meeting in big groups anymore. They're meeting in small groups, homes, mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, that, that's actually the model of the early church as well. I mean, whether it's in homes or buildings or whatever, you know, some of them meet in offices, uh, in a workplace. Um, the thing is, since the COVID, uh, God has really encouraged many places to have very vibrant prayer movements going on. One I've been attending on a regular basis is the prayer, uh, the prayer movement in China. There are many, many prayer networks in China, but one prayer network has been meeting every day hmm. at 4 p.m. And every day, I've been there many times now, about 400 to 500 pastors will meet every day, hmm. Monday to Sunday, hmm. for prayer. Now, they initially started just to pray for one particular province, and um, because that province has the, the COVID situation was really severe. And after that, God challenged them and said, why just pray for one province? You should be praying for the whole of China. So they started to pray for the whole of China. And after some time, God challenged them and said, why only pray for China? You should be praying for the world. Mm. So they have now been praying for the world. So each day, I mean, the other day I was there, you know, they were praying for Eastern Europe and uh, they were praying for and then another day they were praying for Pakistan, they were praying for Europe, every day a different focus and there would be people meeting. They, they are really on time. They start sharp at four o'clock, they will stop at five o'clock, one hour each day. And uh, really, really encouraging. Hundreds of pastors uh, met online. online. Yeah. Uh, and these are predominantly, did you say Chinese pastors? Yes, they are China Chinese pastors from different provinces. Because uh, they, they've been meeting online. That's really encouraging. Yeah, because one of the things, of course, for that whole region of Southeast and East Asia is that we're aware of the, the, the growth of the, of the political pressure yes. on the church uh, by the government in China. And obviously, we've all witnessed what has happened yes. in Hong Kong yes. uh, and the potential threat to Taiwan and so on. So we, we hear only that, um, and, and therefore the pressure and the persecution of Christians. And yet, one of the things that you said was, persecution never kills the church. A diluted gospel will kill the church. Yeah. And do you want to expand on that? Because this is amazing. The persecution is there, but the prayer is also remarkable. Yeah, I, I, I think um, the... The theology of the prosperity gospel, which is very rampant in the West, but it's also affecting Asia, but certainly affecting Singapore, and certainly is affecting China as well. So I think we need to really pray. But I, I just came, as I told you, I just came back from this uh, uh, conference with 600 mission leaders and church leaders. And, and I realized that people encounter God, number one, through the word of God, the preaching of the word of God. But secondly, they also encounter God with uh, signs and wonders, dreams and visions. I mean, people walk into the church, never been to church before, and people say, why are you in church? Because they say, I have a dream and dream about Jesus, and I want to find out who this Jesus is. You know, I heard the story from Mongolia. I heard the story from other parts of Asia. Uh, signs and wonders are very real, like what Paul said in Romans 15. You know, what he said, what he did and also through signs and wonders. And third is they encounter God by God's, um, I would say, divine appointments as well. God's sort of kind of sovereign rule. i give you one example. I talk about the diaspora Chinese uh, in Africa. And one amazing work was prison ministry. 
we never dreamt of prison ministry in Africa, never. But uh, a couple from Malaysia, uh, you know, responded to God's call, Chinese, and they went to Kenya. Just within two months after they arrived, the government of Kenya approached them and said, look, you know, you are from Malaysia, you are Chinese, that means you can speak Chinese. They say, yes, we've got a job for you. Now, what is the job? They say, we want you to visit the prison three times a week because we have just arrested 200 Chinese, 100 from Taiwan, 100 from China, because they committed cybercrime. So 200 people in prison. We don't speak their language. They don't speak our language. So please be our interpreter. And so he was in prison three times a week. And, and, um, and the Lord opened the door. And since then, they arranged two Bible study groups, one with the men, one with the women. The husband and wife helped each group. And um, people turn to the Lord. I mean, we never dream of prison ministry. Not that that's God's divine appointment. Yeah. God's like, work. We never we never planned it. We never planned it. Yeah, but it sounds like um, it sounds like the Apostle Paul never quite planned to go to to Europe, but he got a Macedonian exactly. call which said, "Come and exactly. help us," and it's exactly yeah. the same kind of thing, which is often how mission develops, isn't it? With that kind of yeah. um, one way of looking at it is yeah. something quite coincidental or chance or serendipitous. Yeah. Another way of looking at it is exactly That's the right. way God God overrules. Yeah. Now, having, me, sorry, yeah, having, having said that, uh, I mean there are still two billion people. Uh, the East Asia's people, and there are still many, many uh, gospel neglected frontiers. I, I call them the gospel neglected frontiers. For example, I mean, you think about the high plateau region in China, you know, the Tibetan region. Many, many people never heard the gospel. You think about the millions of the people among, you know, in the major cities in Japan, you know, most developed country, and yet millions, they've never heard the gospel. So. There are still many areas in East Asia, among East Asia's peoples, what I call the neglected gospel frontiers. You could talk all through this conversation with wonderful examples of what God is doing in mission, but you mm. also yourself are a missiologist, that is, you think uh, and reflect on issues of mission. You have been a speaker at Urbana conferences. Uh, you've had a major role in the Lausanne movement, and we're going to come a little bit later to the upcoming Lausanne uh, conference in Seoul in 2024. We'll talk about that later. But one of the things that you have been passionate about is the importance of partnership in mission in the midst of diversity. Um, mm -hmm. Many people doing many things, all kinds of different situations, massive diversity, and yet the need for Christians to work in unity and partnership. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular reason why that has been such an important theme for you, or would you like to expand on it a bit? Um, let, me, let me approach mm -hmm. it from two uh places. One is from the scriptures first. I want to talk about that uh, on, on partnership. I was very, very struck by uh, the word we in the book of Acts. And of course, I mean, many of you already are aware of that, you know, the book of Acts, the we uh, appeared in Acts 16. Uh, many people call the Macedonia vision as Paul's vision. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. It is not just Paul's vision, but the word we appear there and of course there's Luke there are others as well and uh, as you follow the book of Acts there are different places where the word we uh, is used and they say concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to the Macedonian region so the word we um, actually the word we interestingly 
matches another word is the word together in the book of Acts. And I checked that, that word in Greek, homothymidon, uh, which appears 12 times in the New Testament, but 11 times it was used in the book of Acts. And that's why I, 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 I'm a bit biased. I like Dr. Duke, <laughs> being a <laughs> doctor myself. But, uh, you know, he chose that word together many times. And that meant a lot to him. The early church, whether under persecution or whether under different challenges, uh, they were together. They pray together. They move out together. So the togetherness is very important, at least from the early church record from the Bible. But then let me talk about it kind of globally. You know, when we think about partnership, um, I think partnership really encourages me as I have a, a better understanding or a more complete understanding of what it means to have the whole church bringing the whole gospel to the whole world. When we think about partnership, often in the West or even to Asian people, we think of money, you know, finance, you know, you finance uh, projects, you know, ministries and all that. But God's resources um, are not only about money and certainly not about the exercise of power. And I look at the, the global church because some model faithfulness in the face of persecution and suffering and show us a, a vital element of what it means to live out the gospel. And some will show us how to live with shining trust for Christ despite poverty and injustice. I think of places in Latin America. And some will show us, you know, how to bring critical theological, physiological reflections beyond the Western paradigm. You know, many in Asians are now doing that uh, uh, kind of theological reflection, who speaks to the contemporary political, social, religious, and ethnic context. And some will bring years of experience commanding the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of, of another you know, world religion or world faith, I think of. I mean, Indonesia is one uh, example. And some others will model godly leadership from their cultural context. And of course, others will bring a deep tradition of believing prayers. So, you know, the global church, the whole church, we learn from one another. You know, that the partnership is much deeper than just finance. Mm -hmm. And as we learn together, as we go forward together, that will bring the whole gospel uh, to the whole world. And um, so that, that is true partnership. In, in my mind, you know, we often talk about win-win situation, you know, you know, as we talk about partnership. But I think the political model of partnership is actually not a win-win situation. It is always a sacrificial partnership. It's not what, what I can get out of it. It, it, is, it is based on the model as Jesus has shown us, the cross, it is a sacrificial partnership that we're willing to give as Jesus has died for us. And that, that is my understanding of partnership. And do you think, Patrick, that uh, because I obviously speak as a Westerner and, uh, you know, the, the, we, 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 I'm sitting here in the Western church and many of our listeners, of course, are in, 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 uh, in the US and Canada and elsewhere. Do you think we particularly need to learn some of the lessons that you've just been referring to from uh, majority world churches? What particularly do you think the church in Southeast and East Asia 
needs to share with it? What, what do we need to learn? What do we need to receive? I mean, Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than to receive, but often it's, it's harder to receive than to give. It, mm. It's often more difficult to be on the receiving end or to be thought of as a receiver. And many of us in the West, you know, think of ourselves as those who, well, we do mission, we give into mission, but we have so much to learn and receive. So what in particular should we be looking to receive from the Asian churches? Yeah, I would reverse that question because the first thing is that we have learned from the missionaries from the West in the past 200 years. You have been a model to us. We have learned from you. You have modeled the way by your passion, your dedication, your faithfulness in the proclamation of the gospel. I think we cannot deny that and we need to acknowledge it. And, and even that has continued, that has never stopped. You have been a model to us, those from the West. And I, I, I thank you for that. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters from the West. But coming back to your question, I think maybe I could quote one example in the 1930s or the 1940s to just answer your question. Now, I, I mentioned about Hudson Taylor really wanting to promote the kind of the, the indigenous church. The indigenous church should be leading, or the, the Chinese church leaders should be leading the Chinese church. And uh, we are a scaffolding. So in the 1930s, CIM, the China Inland Mission, made a very strict policy. Uh, and the policy says something like this, very simple terms. And that is, let go of controlling hands let go of controlling hands, meaning, you know, we should not be in control and uh, we should really encourage the Chinese church leaders to rise up to the challenge to lead the Chinese church. But interestingly, checking the records, the Chinese church came back to the CIM and gave the CIM a different kind of challenge. They say, yes, it's fine. You let go of controlling hands, but they say you must also offer helping hands when invited so that we can journey together hand in hand for God's work. I, I like that. That's I like beautiful. that. Yeah. So yes, you can talk about lack of controlling hands, but you must also offer helping hands and um, so that we can journey hand in hand. Because in those days, the lack of controlling hands so much that they became very laid back and the Chinese church criticized the CIM and say, if you're so laid back, you may as well go home and don't stay in China. <laughs> better go home. If you do nothing, you better go home. But <laughs> yeah. there is still a role for you that is to journey with us together, that we together, that's the word again, together. We go hand in hand so that we can be involved in God's work. Now, of course, the Chinese phrase Interestingly, it's not the word hand in hand. I translated that into China, into English, but the original word in Chinese was shoulder to shoulder, mm -hmm. that we can go forward shoulder to shoulder together for God's kingdom's work. So I think that was in the 30s, but I think that's still very applicable today. We can go forward shoulder to shoulder together. There is still role, a, a very significant role for Western colleagues to be involved, but it's not you or me it's not your turn or my turn. It is our participation together, yeah. together again, to be involved in God's work. So that will be my 
my answer to your question. Thank you. That's that's wonderful. Yes, and uh, I love um, both the hand in hand, but also I love shoulder to shoulder because yes. I'm an Irishman, and uh, the uh-huh. Irish the Irish rugby team. Uh, is from both the north and the south, from Northern Ireland and from the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and their, their kind of anthem that they sing at the start of every rugby match is shoulder to shoulder, we'll answer Ireland's call. So uh, <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's an emotional term. One other thing that you and I both have in common is we've both been involved with the Lausanne movement for a number mm. of years. You, you very much still are, uh, which is wonderful. But we were both involved with the uh, Lausanne third uh, convention at Cape Town in 2010 and then we were on the board of directors for a number of years after that I, I have a photograph still above my desk oh. a beautiful photograph taken in Veve in Switzerland I think it was 2013 oh, yes, yes. when we met and there you are and uh, Rama Zetala and uh, Daniel Bourdonnais and Femi Adeleye and uh, Valerie mm. and Hua Young from Malaysia it's a, it's a wonderful photo I, I keep it up there because it reminds me to pray for, for these brothers and sisters. But um, you're, you, I believe now, have actually taken on the role of being the uh, in charge of the programme for the fourth Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization, which is due to take place in 2024 in Seoul, mm. in South Korea, which is an enormous thing to be taking on because I, I remember the, the task that Ramez Atala had when he was the programme director for Cape Town so tell us a bit about that and, uh, and, and, and how your role with Lausanne fits into your role with, with OMF and indeed with, with yeah. us in, in, in Langham Partnership. Yeah, th- thank you for asking that. Uh, it is a daunting task. I've been tasked uh, to be the uh, program director for the Lausanne 4 Congress, which will be held in Seoul, Korea in uh, 2024, towards the end of 2024. And we are still very much in the early stage of planning. Uh, but one thing we have been, uh, the program team has been meeting, and one thing uh, we were drawn again to the book of Acts, and, and, and we try to find out what lessons we can learn from the early church. And uh, Michael O, who is the you know, CEO, the president of the Lausanne movement, uh, made this statement in New York some time ago or a few months ago. He said this, we, as the Lausanne movement, um, strives to accelerate God's global mission together. Again, he used the word together. So he said that the, the fourth Lausanne Congress will really look at the word together, you know, very carefully. What does that mean? What does partnership mean to be together? And I mentioned that earlier on about the word homothymodon in, in uh, the book of Acts. But the other thing is in the book of Acts is the concept of radical discipleship. And, and I like to quote something from uh, Michael Green, Dr. Michael Green, whom I love very much, you know, his writings, his, his insights. He says, he talked about the early church. He said, well, the early church movement was not initiated by grand strategies, not by charismatic leaders, not by massive resources, but by fearless, radical disciples of Jesus Christ who spread the gospel under persecution. I love that statement. Not by grand strategies. There was no charismatic leader, no massive resources, but committed radical disciples of Christ. And I just want to recapture that. And I hope that, um, you know, the, the, the fourth Lausanne Congress 
can really capture that as well. And uh, and of course, I mean, one of the most significant impacts of previous Lausanne Kong conferences or congresses was the missiological and theological reflection. I mean, you wrote, uh, you, you gave a lot of input to the Cape Town commitment. And I hope that at the fourth Lausanne Congress, uh, we will also address some of the key theological and missiological issues affecting the, the global church today to discern, so to speak, God's agenda for today. And uh, we're still at the very early stage. We need prayer. We need wisdom. We need to discern together what God wants us to focus on. But, but indeed, at this Congress, we hope to discern together uh, God's agenda for today for the global church. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I, it's just worth reminding people that the Lausanne movement has, in, in recent years, developed a mission statement that what they're looking to seek yes. to achieve, and there are four wonderful things, missiologically. One, uh, the gospel for every person. Mm. Two, disciple-making churches for every people and place. Uh, so not just evangelism, but disciple-making. Then thirdly, Christ-like leaders in every church and sector, and that Christ-likeness of leadership yes. is so important. But fourthly, also, kingdom impact in every sphere of society. In other words, the, yes. the integrated, holistic nature of mission, uh, embracing all that Christians are and do in the world. Mm. Uh, mm. uh, so all, all of those, I think, are very much part of the DNA of Lausanne, and many of them, of course, go back to John Stott and the, uh, the first Lausanne Covenant, and they're very yes. much bu built in also to the Cape Town commitment. So it's good to hear that you're involved, and we must pray for you in that role, and for all the others in the team, I'm sure, yeah. because uh, 2024 will come round fairly quickly now yes. um, after, after next year. So, Patrick, um, we need to begin to draw to a close. Tell us what, what's next for you and, and uh, Jenny in, in your ministry. Uh, what, what do you think lies ahead, and how, yeah. can we be, how can we be praying for you and your family? Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for asking that. Uh, yes, I will be stepping down as the general director of OMF by the end of 2023, that is end of next year. And so I've been in this role for about 19 years, uh, just about 19 years. And uh, yeah. I thank the Lord uh, for enab enabling me. But um, yeah, God willing, I hope to serve him in other capacities as God allows and enables so just pray for me for that as well, the, the, the change in role as well. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking about Jenny as well, uh, my wife Jenny. Uh, she is involved in a quite an exciting project recently. Uh, actually, she's involved in the Hassan Taylor movie project, uh, which has been uh, going on for the past few years. Uh, this really um, started off as we were inspired by some 145 verse 4 uh, it says one generation commends god's work to another they tell of your mighty acts so we are sort of we, we want to bring this story to the new generation so that they can be encouraged to serve god's purpose so we've just gone through the script right uh the screenplay is ready and we're praying for god's provision the finance that is needed and um you know, so that we can move ahead and with the movie production. So pray for us. And Jenny is the overall coordinator. And uh, we thank God for, you know, different people helping us, uh, professional skills, expertise. And uh, yeah, we're moving forward with with this project, the Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor uh, movie project. Yeah, to inspire the next generation 
to serve God's purpose. I would really appreciate your prayer. Thank you, Patrick. Let's let me pray for you then, and then please, we'll we'll please. draw to a close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this conversation, and I do indeed thank you for Patrick and Jenny, and for their lives of service for you for many decades. And I do pray that uh, as they look to the future, uh, particularly as Patrick steps down from leadership in OMF International, that you will not only provide him with clear guidance as to what you have in the future for him and for them, but also provide uh, another level and layer of of leadership for that organisation whose past and whose legacy we so much give thanks for. We pray for this project, this movie, ask that you will provide all that is needed for it, Uh, to be a success and to be a blessing and a way indeed in which one generation can commend your mighty works to another. And then we pray also for Patrick in this role with the Lausanne movement for the fourth Congress in 2024 that you will give to him and his team uh, all the expertise and the inspiration and the ideas uh, and the that they will need in order to make that a really worthwhile contribution to your mission, the, the mission of God throughout the world. So be with us, we pray now, and we thank you for your blessing on this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. It's such a blessing to learn new insights about the global body of Christ, particularly in places where the church is growing despite pressure and persecution. I hope you were enriched by the wisdom and experience of our brother Patrick. Thanks again for joining us. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend, and then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless.